0: Good morning. Good morning okay uh, you may recall you may not it 's all right i 'll remind you um, we started a we've been working through the book of John uh, we're going to return to that next week next Sunday uh, but we started a series on uh, spiritual warfare four part series this will be part four um, I did the first three parts were ruling yourself your learning to rule your emotions, learning to rule your words, learning to rule your thoughts. And now uh, we're going to do this last section, which is kind of a standalone, but it's super important. I find, and, it, and I think it's interesting that we're doing it on 4th of July weekend, that this is the area where uh, most Christians sort of give back their freedom and don't realize they're doing it, and uh, the very verse Gary was talking about, Galatians 5.1, and uh, uh, a lot. we all know the concept of forgiveness, but uh, I find, again, that a lot of Christians don't realize how big a deal this is, and specifically uh, the consequences involved in not taking this really, really, really seriously. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to uh, look at some of this, and uh, maybe you're doing great. And that'll be awesome. You can just keep doing great. Uh, but this also might help you to minister to others who are caught and need to be free and help you to give, give you some language that may help them. So uh, we're going to jump in. And what I want to talk about is uh, getting wounded because we've been talking about spiritual warfare. And no one goes into the army or the Marines or whatever and goes, hey, uh, I, I'm signing up. I'm going to learn how to use a gun, all that. I just want an MOS that guarantees I won't get wounded right? You won't get in. They'll say, please stay home, go knit, do something else, right? So why do we think we can join the army of God and engage in spiritual warfare and that somehow God has promised that we won't have to experience wounding? It's going to happen. Wounding is inevitable. And what's worse, uh, we know the world hates us and the world is going to wound us intentionally. But what's worse is the church will wound us. There's friendly fire. Some of that uh, even God allows. We'll talk about that in a minute. Some of that is just well-intentioned. I have wounded people thinking uh, with all my heart I was helping them before, Uh, just out of my ignorance sometimes. this stuff happens. If you have been in the church more than 10 years, someone in the church has probably done something stupid to wound you. You know why? Because we let humans come in here. any humans, even people in your family, right? Even people in my family. It's human. And so wounding is inevitable. We got to get that. And we got to understand that it's going to happen and we got to deal with it. We got to know how to deal with it. And so, uh, in fact, um, the enemy is going to do everything he can to encourage wounding to occur. Why? Because and this is a whole other teaching I'm not going to get into today, but there's tremendous strength in unity. We know this in the Word of God. There's strength in unity, right? And so how do you conquer a unified army? You divide and conquer. The devil, like a roaring lion, seeks to me may devour. Who can I cut from the herd and get on their own so I can gobble them up? And so he's going to use a fence to divide and conquer. And uh, I'm going to get into these as we go. And I really want to, uh, some verses that we should be familiar with, but I want to dig into them a little deeper and make sure we get this. Because this is just, uh, I'm not sure there's anything more important, anything that's done more damage in the church than unforgiveness to believers being able to walk in the liberty that Christ has given them. So first, and again, you can follow along in your notes if you want, or we'll put verses up. You can just follow along with me. You can, you can draw pictures, whatever works for you. Um, the world, let's talk about that first, the world is going to offend you, right? That's kind of, you know, the world's done this way, the wicked one, that's his job, they work for him, it's what they're going to do. What I want you to see is that this is not necessarily a bad thing. This is, it can be a good thing. This is opportunity, opportunity. When we are offended, when the world is mean to us, when the world uh, does something, uh, just even persecutes us, does something wrong, it is an opportunity to display the culture of his kingdom. When we are offended by the world, it is, God is going, here's an opportunity I've given you personally to display the culture of heaven. The culture of the kingdom. And how much more in today's culture? I don't know if you've noticed, but today's culture is obsessed with offense. Everybody's offended, and everybody's talking about it. And if you aren't offended at their offense, then they're offended that you're not offended. (laughs) Right? And so for them to do something that is offensive to you, And for you to turn around and display the kingdom of heaven is freaky to them. And so it's an opportunity. I want you to see this. Returning good under suffering creates interest. Now, I'm going to read you a passage out of 1 Peter 3. And just so you know the context, the verse right before the passage and right after the passage I'm going to read actually contain the word suffering suffering for righteousness' sake. He is clearly talking about suffering. And he's saying, in the midst of suffering, there's opportunity. So in the midst of offense, that you could be offended and not forgive someone, God's going, well, here's an opportunity to display the kingdom, to create interest. So let's read 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. It says, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Now let me break this down for you. Make sure you get what's being said here. Peter says, first off, sanctify it. Set apart the Lord in your heart. Really get Jesus in your heart so that you have Jesus-type responses to offense and to suffering. Why? Because someone's going to ask you, why you're acting different than everyone else, why you're not offended, why you're responding with grace instead of offense. Oh, they are? What are they going to ask me? Well, they're going to ask you when they defame you, when they persecute you, when they do rude things to you, when they defame you. If you respond, as this verse says, with a good conscience and with good conduct, them or someone watching is going to go, why are you doing that? Why aren't you offended? Everyone I know is offended when that happens to them. What's different about you? Do you understand? And so we have to develop this mindset because the world is going to be offensive that when they offend, oh, this is an opportunity. I get to display mercy. I get to display the heart of Christ. This is going to mess with their heads, right? That's what God's talked about when he says, return evil for good heat burning coals on their heads, mess with their heads. I don't understand this. Why are you doing this? How many of you have had that happen? You were nice and no one, and no one, I was hoping there'd be more. Uh, people went, why, why, are you, why are you being nice? Why are you not mad at that person? I'm mad at that person for you. Why are you mad at that person? Well, there you go. You get to answer. Well, because I have Jesus and he's loving and, and I'm just abounding in grace. You want to hear more? There you go right? And so it's an opportunity. We need to see it as that. But um, I'm actually a little bit more concerned this morning about what happens in the church that you understand. So when the world offends us, God's going, this is an evangelistic opportunity. I'm creating evangelistic opportunities. Don't be upset that the world is being mean to you. Display the kingdom. See what happens. Maybe, they'll be, uh, maybe somebody will get saved because they'll see how different you are. And secretly, they want to be different too. Because how many of you have discovered that being offended all the time is really exhausting and not that much fun? Right? So, you know, there you go. Now, the church, when it's friendly fire, when the church does something to offend you, and by the church, I mean basically any believer. So it can be anyone. Uh, Not our church. We're trying real hard officially as a congregation not to be uh, offensive or any more offensive than we have to be. Uh, But uh, sometimes people misunderstand. Sometimes people uh, aren't fully mature, uh, which is all of us, right? And uh, they offend. And so what happens? Well, when this happens, you have a choice. Immediately, you have a choice. And one of these two things is going to happen. You're either going to grow in grace, you're going to move deeper into Christ and let Him deal with your heart, or... You're going to grow in isolation. You're going to withdraw because of this offense and begin to move towards isolating yourself from a part of the body of Christ, even if it's just one person. And it may grow beyond that. And I want you to see how that works. And I want you to see this. Now, it's easy for us to uh, go, well, that persons they love Jesus, but they're just a jerk. It's okay. Uh, You know, they're going to be a jerk. Consider that God might have set up this whole scenario. Would God do that? Would God use relational conflict just for your personal growth? Let me give you a couple of verses that make me suspect that he might. Proverbs 27 5 and 6 says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You believe that verse? Would you rather have a a kissy, kissy, kissy friend that talks about you behind your back or a true friend who will wound you to your face? God will do that. To put people in your life that might wound you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. He uses the word wound. A few verses later, in verse 17, he says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens another man. You ever watched iron being sharpened? There's sparks. If there's sparks, it doesn't mean it's not God. It might be iron sharpening iron. So I want you to see that God might use Relational conflict for your personal growth. Some of these friendly fire wounds might just be immaturity. Some of them might be God, and he wants to get at something in you. And Hebrews 12 makes me think of this also. So I'm going to really go through this passage carefully, Um, but I want to look at the one before it uh, first. In Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 11, and thankfully, Jeremiah Gonda just covered this last week. You guys remember? He talked about this. It's the passage, Hebrews 12, 3 through 11, is the passage about where God talks about how he chastises every son. And if you aren't undergoing discipline or chastisement, you're not a son. You're an illegitimate child. Everybody gets disciplined. Everybody gets chastised. That's the point of that whole passage, Right? And so, in the context of correction, he goes in verses 12 through 15 to show us the consequences of a wrong choice, if we don't take that as correction from God. All right? So, let's look at this. Hebrews 12, 12 through 15. And remember, because it starts with the word, therefore. When you see the word, therefore, you should go, well, why are we thereforeing? What did he just say that, I, that this is therefore? Therefore. And... Uh, what he just said was how he chastises everyone he takes as a son, right? And again, remember, he will use other people to do it. He will use friendly fire to work on us. And, and I don't think he has to work real hard at it. We provide it sometimes without his intention. So uh, it's there. So Hebrews 12, 12 through 15, says, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Now he's explaining the consequences of not responding correctly to his Correction, right? But let's look at this. Let's break this down. Make sure you really get it. I really lock into this. Pay attention to this. This is the part I want you to get. He says, strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. Now, this sounds like someone who's kind of tired and beat up, doesn't it? They're just, you know, has been a long day, a long week. I have hands hanging down and my knees are feeling a little feeble. <laughs> and make straight paths for your feet so that what is... Lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Now, again, in context, he's not talking about physical healing here. This is not a healing verse. He's talking about you're undergoing correction. Remember the first passage, and it's wearing you out, and you're feeling beat up, and he's going, it's okay, just be healed. Let the correction heal you, right? And so he's being metaphorical here. So he says, let the correction heal you. Well, how will I do that? Well, two things. Pursue peace with all men and pursue holiness. So that conflict you're having in the church, work it out with that person. Pursue peace. That's going to bring healing. That's going to help you correct the thing. And while you're doing that, make sure that you're pursuing holiness. Make sure you're going into your heart and going, am I really setting apart Christ in my heart? Am I? Is there something I need to learn from this? Is there something to what this guy is saying to me? Am I? Uh, is this from God? Is this correction that I need to hear? Am I being disciplined as a son who he loves? And so he's going, just try and work things out with the person you're in conflict with, pursue peace, and pursue holiness. Don't just look at them. Look at your heart. What's God doing? That's it. He says, do that, right? And what's more is... He's giving us grace in those situations to do that. Because if it's coming from God, we're sin abound, grace abounds even more. God goes, there's some sin, here's some grace for that sin. There's a big sin, here's a lot of grace for that sin. Right? And so, let's catch this next part. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. What's that mean? He's not taking it. Thank you very much for the grace, but I think I'm right and that guy's wrong, and I'm going I'm to push all the correction onto him. So I don't need your grace, thank you very much. I'm just going to talk about why this guy's wrong, and I'm right. You with me? So if we fall short of the grace, it says two things will happen. A root of bitterness will spring up in us and cause trouble. That doesn't sound good. And many will become defiled. It won't just affect us. Okay? We've got to get this. This is a big deal. I see this going on a lot in the church, all the time. Uh, in the church universal, all the yeah, yeah. believers. This is just common, guys. Here's what it looks like. We, we get in conflict, we don't forgive, and a root of bitterness begins this root of bitterness will lead to isolation. Here's why. Proverbs 18.1 says, the man who isolates himself, here's why he does it. You ready? The man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all sound judgment. So he gets in conflict. God's trying to bring correction. God's trying to do iron sharpens iron. And he goes, nope, Uh, I'm not interested in what anyone else says. I'm only interested in what I think. He seeks his own desire, and he rages against all sound judgment. I don't care how reasonable your argument sounds. It's making me angry, and I'm just going to rage against you. Right? And so what happens when we do this, when we get in this cycle of unforgiveness, of bitterness, drawing us into this isolation, it will lead to What uh, it's talking about here, many become defiled. It will lead to a separation and a defilement. I'll tell you where I've seen this, and I hope this will illustrate this for you. Uh, I did, um, I don't know, 20-plus years of youth ministering. So it's, uh, as experiments go, it's one big sociology experiment. (laughs) I have a lot of data, all right? And you notice trends. Here's a strong trend I noticed. Every once in a while... And it's strong enough that I'll call it a trend. I've seen it often enough that I'll call it a trend. Uh, I'd see families in church, and their youth are in church, but one or both of the parents has been offended in some way by a Christian or by the church and hasn't dealt with it properly, hasn't forgiven. Now, they're in church. They're saying all the right things and doing all the right things, and if you ask them, They'll probably tell you, oh, yes, I've forgiven that person, and then they'll tell you all about what they did, So, which makes me suspect. So I noticed that when I would perceive this distrust, this isolating in this parent, guess what I would see in the youth? Their teens would come to church. They would come to youth church. They'd sit in the back. They'd kind of look distrustful the whole time, and What would happen was they'd come until something happened that offended them, and it was as if a switch was flipped, and they went, Yep, I knew it. I'm out of here. And most of those youth don't walk with God now. Where did they get this distrust of the church? Root of bitterness, defiled. Do we realize what we're passing down to our kids when we don't? deal with our offense when we don't forgive I've seen it again and again and again unforgiveness in parents manifest in children in different ways it's just distrust or it's like they're just and again it's especially the church like they're just waiting for the church to do something so they can be offended and guess what the church will somebody will there's enough people in here that'll listen to that demonic voice and go a little too far it's human nature going to happen. you got to see how big a deal this is, that we don't enter into a root of bitterness and get defiled, that we recognize that the, the way we're healed is to pursue peace with all men and to pursue holiness. Now, there's some very clear things that uh, I'm not sure we always get, so I'm just going to say them. There's only one remedy for being wounded, and it's forgiveness. There aren't any others. You can keep trying. You can go to counseling. You can read books. You can do all that stuff. There's only one biblical remedy for being wounded, and it's forgiveness, period. It's the only one. I'm going to show you in just a minute in the Word. But the alternative to forgiving is keeping it. That's it. You either forgive the offense or you keep the offense. And if you keep the offense, I guarantee you it will grow roots and it will grow vines. It will grow in you and out of you, guaranteed by the word of God. Root of bitterness defile many. So the only remedy for wounding is forgiveness. We just have to make up our minds that this is just true. It's just the deal. And uh, Jesus says this in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Any questions? Need me to look at the Greek. You might not understand that. Could that be any clearer? There's only one remedy for offense. The problem is, we just don't like it so we have to get over that. Forgiveness is not optional, and it's not conditional. It's not optional, meaning God just said, forgive. If you want forgiveness, forgive. Period. No more discussion. And it's not conditional. Well, he's not even sorry. If he asked me for forgiveness, I'd forgive him. God doesn't care. He says, forgive him anyway. I had a guy go off on me one time for like 10 minutes. And ten minutes in, uh, you know my personality. I'm just trying to be Jesus. Ten minutes in, I've had enough, and I say something snarky. And God, right then, I just—he just puts his finger on me, and I know I have to ask that guy to forgive me for my snarky comment. Right? He did ten minutes. I did ten seconds. I got to ask for forgiveness. So I asked him to forgive me. You know what happened? No, not what you're thinking. You're thinking he asked for forgiveness too. He went off of me for another five minutes. And it appeared to me from my perspective, I don't know what his perspective was, from my perspective, God didn't care about him and what he was saying. All he cared about was that I forgave him and that I owned my snarky comment. As far as God and I were concerned, that was the only interaction he was interested in. That guy did come back and apologize about two years later. Now, I could have kept that offense for that whole two years, waiting for that apology. Could have. It would have grown roots and vines. But I forgave him. I just went, I don't care. That guy can do what he wants with God. I'm coming out of this thing clean. Got it? Forgiveness is not optional. It is not conditional. It is, in fact, in your self-interest. I am terrified to not forgive. I really need the forgiveness of God all the time. It terrifies me. That's the biggest area of the fear of the Lord for me. I am afraid to not forgive. You do something to me. And, and, I, and you go, oh, are you gonna forgive me? And I go, yes, not even because I care about you. I don't even care about you. This is all me, man. I'm not carrying that around, right? I am not carrying that around because it harms us while the offender is unaffected. Think about that. Think about how smart this is. Someone comes along and goes, I don't like you. I'm going to say, here's mean things about you. Here's why I think you're a jerk. I'm never going to talk to you again. I'm out of here. And I'm not even going to give you another thought. And I go, well, yeah, I'm going to keep thinking about you for years and years and years. And, and I'm going to, it's going to keep bugging me. And this, this still hurts. I know you can't hear me because you walked out the door. But this still hurts. I'm going to tell people how much it hurts even though you've forgotten my name. That's how smart I am. Get the point? Why would we carry around something that hurts us? Why would we extend an offense that was painful in the first place? Now, here's the real harm it does. The harm it does is whatever measure we judge with sets the standard for ourselves. Isn't it cool that we can set the standard of judgment we receive from God. But isn't it scary that we can set the standard of judgment that we receive from God? Matthew 7.2 says don't judge because whatever measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Whatever judgment you use, it'll be measured back to you. James 2.13, judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. I want mercy. I want mercy all the time. I probably, will, I don't even know why, there's a good chance I'll need mercy this week. So I'm just going to give it. You understand what's going on here? It sets our own standard of justice. And so with that, what I really want to do today is I want to go through Matthew 18. It's a famous passage uh, and you all know Matthew 18, it's, the, it, it's often referred to as the biblical discipline passage. It's the equivalent of wait till your father gets home, right? So if someone says Matthew 18, you're like, oh, he's in trouble. Wait till dad gets home. He's getting a spanking, right? But I don't think that's the way God intended Matthew 18 to read. And so I want to, again, look at this a little bit carefully And uh, see what he's really saying here. Now, first, let's look at uh, verses 15 through 20. Because this is a brother sitting against you. So, I'm going to say, let's say you're right and he's wrong. We're giving you that, okay? Whatever's going on, you're right, they're wrong. This isn't you being corrected. This is you're right, they're wrong. Good? All right. to you, like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now, let's get the spirit of what's being said here, because if we're not careful, uh, we will start to see this as. Uh, Kind of, uh, again, as punishment, as discipline. Let's hurry up and get through the steps. Uh, Let's hurry up and get this guy's sin exposed so that everybody knows that I'm right and he's wrong. Right? Now, first of all, it says, if your brother sins against you, so let me just point out, this is not a license to go sin hunting in the church or outside the church into other churches onto the internet. uh, Right? It says, if your brother sins against you. Not just, so this isn't a license to hunt sin. No one has a license to hunt sin, but the Holy Spirit. He's he's really good at it. We're not as good. Okay? He's saying if your brother sins against you. And what he's saying here is uh, he's describing uh, not punishment, not a let's hurry up and discipline this guy so he quits sinning. He's describing a loving, honorable Process. Why? Just between you first. So you don't expose it, right? He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Proverbs 17. You're covering your brother. Hey, let's just me and you work it out, right? Now, I can't tell you how many times people bring stuff to me about someone else, and what's my first question? Did you talk to them? Are we skipping Matthew 18? Are we going to skip steps? Yeah, I know. It's uncomfortable, and I'm the paid professional. You'd rather me talk to them. I get it. But no. Do it right. Go talk to them, because that's the third step. Talk to them. They don't hear you. Get someone else. Hey, come on, help me. And again... It's an honorable, loving process because the goal, look at the goal here. The goal is restored relationship. The goal is an exposed sin. That's why we're taking, that's why telling the church is the last step. So we're, we're trying to get this guy to repent without being exposed, right? we got to see this, that Jesus is after restored relationship. In fact, uh, He goes on to talk about binding and loosing. So, and he goes on to talk about the power of agreement. And if two or three or more agreed in his name, it's as if Jesus is saying this process is meant to take people who are sinning against you and bind them back to you and bind them back to the church and bring you guys back into agreement so that you can have power together in prayer. It's about being restored, not about being disciplined. The only way it gets to being disciplined is if the knucklehead just won't hear anybody. Right? Are you with me? So we got to get the heart of this thing, the spirit of this thing. Jesus wants his kids to get along. In fact, he wants it so much, he talks about this also, this exact same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. This first one in Matthew 18 Uh, He's talking about if your brother sins against you. In Matthew 5, he's talking about if your brother has something against you. And he says this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, I'm coming to church on Sunday morning, I'm ready to worship, and I go, oh, I just remembered my brother has something valid against me. Leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way first be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift just like you do with your kids, right? You know what I'd like? Before we go out and we do that thing I promised you we were going to do, go make up with your brother or your sister. Dads just like their kids to get along. You guys ever done that as parents? Yeah? Uh, Your kid wants something, wants talking. you You know what? First, let's fix this thing with your brother and your sister, then we'll talk. Yeah. And you know your motive. You want the family to get along. You want your kids to be happy. So... We've got to see this process as uh, God's heart of reconciliation. Not just, this is how we discipline people. This is, you know, what happens. Let's hurry up and tell the, get to telling the pastor so it'll get good. Because there's nothing good on TV. Might as well have drama at church, right? No. Amen. <laughs> All right, so let's get to the rest of Matthew 18. Because here's what happens. Peter who always speaks up, and we love that about Peter. Peter has just heard Jesus talk about this, and Peter is pretty clever. So Peter figures out, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to end up having to forgive my brother, and, I'll, and, and, and maybe more than once. And so Peter goes, uh, Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? In other words, how many times I got to do this? Because You know, John and I, we go around a lot, and and sometimes he annoys me. And I don't know if you guys notice this in the Bible, but uh, anyway, Peter's wanting to know, how often do I have to do this? And he asks up to seven times because Peter's read Luke. Uh, Well, I don't know. He's heard Luke. And in Luke, Jesus says, uh, if seven times a day someone offends you, forgive him seven times that day. So he's talking about daily. So this is not you get to count seven in your life and then you get to quit forgiving this person. This is seven times a day. And so the answer that Jesus gives is also daily. All right? So he says, I'd not say you up to seven times, but seventy times seven. That's four hundred and ninety a day that you have to forgive someone, which you might as well just round up and go, all of it. (laughs) Right? You have to work hard for one person to sin against you 490 times every day. And then his mercies are new every morning. You got to start over tomorrow at one. You might as well just call it unlimited forgiveness. All right. And then he tells a parable about a guy who owed his master a bunch of money. And he says, I can't pay it. Please forgive me. And his master forgives him. And then the guy finds another guy who owes him some money and he won't forgive that guy. And his master goes, hey, I forgave you. You should have forgiven him. We're going back to court now, and I'm going to have you thrown in debtor's prison. That's the story. But let's break this down. Yeah, we'll get to that part. So, in this story, uh, if you bring those amounts into present day times, it's hundreds of millions versus a few thousand. So, here's what that looks like I have borrowed eight grand from you. And I come to you and I say, look, I can't pay that eight grand back. Can you just let it go? And you go, man, that's a lot of money, right? Now let's look at another scenario. Gary uh, just, you know, struck it rich in his oil thing out in Texas and, and decides to give you hundreds of millions of dollars. You have just put hundreds of millions of dollars in your account. I come to you and say, hey, I'm not able to pay that eight grand I owe you. What do you say? (laughs) You want some more? I got hundreds of millions. I don't need your eight grand. I'll forgive you. I'll give you more money. You want another eight grand? You want 20 grand, right? You understand it's just a difference of perspective. It's really easy to forgive eight grand when you're worth hundreds of millions. Now, he's using money, and so I use money to make this point But the point that he's making is that we can afford to be extravagant when we realize how wealthy we are. You've been forgiven hundreds of millions. You can afford to be a little extravagant in your forgiveness. You can forgive 8,000, right? It's what he's talking about in Romans 13. Paul says, Oh, no man, anything except the debt of love. Who loves you? Jesus. How much? The cross. the cross. That's the debt we pay forward. I am so extravagant, wealthy in love. I can afford to love you. I can afford to forgive you because I I am wealthy in forgiveness. I am ridiculously wealthy in forgiveness. I've got lots of forgiveness going on. Right? Are you with me? He who's forgiven much loves much. Right? You guys been forgiven a lot? Anybody else here wealthy in forgiveness? Have millions of forgiveness from God? So maybe you can afford to forgive others? That's the point that this parable is making. And so... When we refuse to forgive, when we enter into unforgiveness, it's just misplaced identity. We have forgotten that we're an eternal child of God, that everything we've ever done wrong has been forgiven. We've forgotten that. We are being defined by what someone did to us instead of what he did for us. Now, what are you going to be defined by? I know people who are believers who still have a lot of their identity in what someone did to them. I want all of my identity in what he did for me. Amen? Amen. Amen. And if I can do that, I am so wealthy in grace, I can afford to forgive anything. And I'm terrified not to. Are you with me? So this is a big deal. The biggest part of it is coming up. So I want to look at verse 34 and 35, because this is where the rubber really hits the road. He tells this parable, and then he says, and here's the point of the parable. God is the same, and here's what he'll do if you don't forgive. He says, And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers, or to the tormentors, until he should pay all that was due him. Well, that sounds bad, but that's a parable, right? Well, nope. So my heavenly Father will also do to each of you if from his heart he does not forgive his brother's his trespasses. You hear what God's saying? If you don't forgive, I will turn you over to the tormentors. Now, God doesn't want to do that. He doesn't take pleasure in doing that. But you need to understand this. Hear me, church. I've seen this again and again and again. Unforgiveness creates a legal right for demonic torment to enter your life. Unforgiveness creates a legal right. They know this verse. Demons have read Matthew 18. They'll go to heaven and appeal to God, this person isn't forgiven. I need to, I want to access Matthew 18, 35 here. I want to go torment him. And God has to allow it because that's his word. And we can circumvent that just by forgiving. But if we don't, the consequence is demonic oppression. I see this a lot, not uncommon, a lot in healing. Physical manifestations in the body because of unforgiveness. The most dramatic one I remember was when... Uh, I was dramatic in the, it wasn't a, a huge healing, uh, but it was dramatic in the sense of how quickly it changed. I was praying for a lady right back here. She has had pain in her wrist, and, uh, and I'm praying for her, and God's going, it's demonic, it's, un- it's demonic, it's unforgiveness, and I don't want to go there, because I hate telling people that they have devils. Uh, it's just <laughs> not fun. It's not fun at church, but it happens. So, but I've learned something in my experience. A lot of times when, uh, when something, when an injury is demonic, uh, when you start praying for it, it'll actually get worse because, you know, you're annoying the devil. Uh, and so I, I asked her, I go, is it getting better or worse? I asked her if it's getting better. I said, is it getting better or worse? She goes, oh, it's hurting a lot worse. I went, ah, crap. <laughs> so said, this is demonic. I said, who haven't you forgiven? And she immediately told me. I said, well, and I got out Matthew 18. I read it to her and I said, You've opened a door for a spirit of torment. And that's what's going on here. I said, You want to forgive them? She goes, Yeah. I go, Okay, go ahead. She does. And I go, Okay, let's pray. Pain and go. And it went. And I'm serious. 30 seconds. And I'm like, All right, I'm fine. That's all. That's way easier than having faith for healing, isn't it? Just, just don't, you know, open the door. You understand? Uh, Pastor Tim, he was just here two weeks ago. You guys enjoyed that. Um, Pastor Tim, he'll put testimonies up. And this I checked. It's not up there anymore. It was up on their website. But we, Rachel and I watched it. He had a man uh, just in this last, just a couple months ago, had a man who was suffering from PS, PTSD, uh, Vietnam vet, so bad that uh, his wife called and said, Tim, you got to come over today. I don't think he's going to be here tomorrow. Uh, he wanted to kill himself. He'd had it. And, uh, huh? Nightmares. He was having nightmares. He's, he had, Yeah, He'd have, he, he, his nightmares were so bad he'd hurt himself and then he'd wake up and have nightmares and hurt himself again. All this It was terrible, really bad PTSD. So Tim goes over, spends a few hours with him, and where it amounts to is just walking him through forgiveness. Yeah. He, he ended up having a reason to forgive his CO, having a reason to uh, forgive some other people, end up having to forgive himself, and each time he gained a measure of freedom. By the time Tim left, he was free. He stand- I just watched the testimony a week later. He's standing there at church, giving testimony, all excited about how good God is, how free he is, how how he's sleeping without having nightmares, just unforgiveness. Get it? It's a big deal, guys. And uh, what's interesting, uh, Tim had. Uh, Two more guys uh, after that, just in this year, with PTSD that got free, same thing, unforgiveness. I'm not saying all PTSD is unforgiveness. Uh, I'm saying all unforgiveness opens doors to devils. Okay? And so, uh, why would you keep that stuff? So, I want to look at a couple of the things that make it difficult for us to forgive. And sometimes it's how profound the offense is. Uh, So I want you to see this because sometimes the offense is really big. Uh, You know, someone uh, killed someone or or raped someone. or uh, I mean, it's, you know, or you were molested as a child. I mean, these are huge things. These are not little things. And so there's the sense that if I just forgive, I am somehow diminishing how profound this offense was. And what I want you to see is that's just a trap to keep you in it. Forgiveness is in no way diminishing the offense. It is saying, yeah, the offense is massive, but God's grace is massiver. So it's not diminishing the offense, it's expanding, it's glorifying the grace of God. Saying, yeah, this is a massive offense, But God is so good. I'm just going to forgive it. I am that rich in forgiveness. I am that wealthy in the grace of God that I will forgive even this massive thing. Now, there's a great story that illustrates this, and Rachel actually—if you want to grab the mic, uh, babe—Rachel actually uh, told me this story, so I'm going to let her tell it, and then I've told it to you guys before. I
1: heard it from Ted Decker. So I was at a conference and Ted was telling this story and um, there was a woman, he was, he was looking for stories for um, some radio show he was doing. Anyway, a woman comes on, she was an Assemblies of God pastor and she was massively overweight, extremely overweight, in fact, so overweight that it was crushing her body. And so nothing that they could find doctors, nothing was helping her lose weight. Just nothing worked. She, she did everything. So uh, she had been raped as a child by three boys. And so um, she knew she had forgiven them. She was a Christian. She was on staff at Assemblies of God. Pastor Ted said, I don't know want to talk about Assemblies of God having women pastors because he didn't know they had women pastors. But she, so she's walking in this, but she was beginning to go to the Lord about why she couldn't deal with her weight. And so one day, and I love this, this is a two part. She was in corporate worship and the Lord spoke to her and said, um, It's about what happened with those boys. And she was like, but no, I've forgiven them. Two weeks later, she's in private time with the Lord, in private worship. I love the demonstration of corporate and private times with the Lord. She has a vision of the event, and she sees it happening, and she sees the Lord, and he's watching, and he's weeping. And he looks at her, and he's weeping, and he looks at them, and he's weeping. And she said, no, Lord. They have to pay, and he said, "I already did." We're not comparing our sins among ourselves; we're comparing them to the cross.
0: So, and I think uh, he he told her that first time that she was wearing her offense, right? Oh, that's right. So, why she could not the rest the floor. Why she could not lose weight was she was wearing her offense, and then she what? ended up. So, again, uh, an offense manifesting in the physical body. Isn't that interesting? Now, that's, that's a big deal, all right? Here's the truth here. Um, there is a tendency for us, if something profound has happened, is to say, yeah, but you don't know. You don't know. You don't know what it's like to have someone do this to you. And that's true. I don't. I don't know. I, I have no, I grew up with good parents and no one, you know, did anything really profoundly bad to me as a child. I don't know what it's like to go through some things you guys have gone through or what she went through, but it doesn't make an excuse for not forgiving. And the devil will try and tell you that, that yours is, you, you need to take longer and forgive because they don't know. Yours is more profound, Right? It doesn't make an excuse. Here's the truth. Everyone will, A, pay for it. Those boys will pay for it if they don't know Jesus. In a most horrendous way at the judgment seat of Christ. Just like we would if we didn't know Jesus. Or they'll get off scot-free. Just like us. Because Jesus paid for it at the cross. It'll be paid for one way or another. But if Jesus pays for it, we have to accept that for us and for them. We can't demand justice for others and mercy for ourselves, right? So, this is why Jesus says, or why Paul says of Jesus, he quotes it from the Old Testament, Romans 12, vengeance is mine, I will repay What he's saying there, let me, if I can, you know, paraphrase God, which is probably dangerous. He's saying, you can't handle righteous vengeance. Vengeance is appropriate, but I'm the only one with enough righteousness to do it right. Don't you do vengeance. I'll take care of it. At the end of the day, everything will be just. Everything will be accounted for. No one's getting away with anything. But we have to accept and in the same way the cross purchased forgiveness for us, it can purchase forgiveness for those who harmed us. Amen? Yeah. And so, uh, we want mercy. Now, the other thing that happens sometimes is uh, we, forget, we, we confuse forgiveness with our feelings. Um, forgiveness is a decision, period. You decide to forgive and then you do it. You can do it in 10 seconds. Now, your feelings may or may not come along. That is a separate issue. I refer you back to spiritual warfare teaching number one, ruling over your emotions. Feel free to work on that as long as you need to. Uh, But just because you still feel something, anger or resentment or fear or whatever, that's not the issue. You decide to forgive and the feelings follow. And then you work on those and God will work on them with you. But we have to decide to forgive. It's a decision. I talked earlier about the court in heaven and about the accuser of the brethren going before the court in heaven. Uh, What we do is literally we go into the court of heaven and say, God, I forgive that offense. Uh, Take it off your docket. That person can't be charged in the court of heaven with this anymore. Now, what happens on earth? Uh, once a case is closed. Can you retry it? No, No. same in heaven. I've forgiven it. We're not going to retry that. I am suspect of people who assure me they've forgiven something, but keep talking about it. You you can't keep bringing it back to the court. You can't keep bringing it back to the court. Once you forgive it, it's done. Now, you can talk about uh, working through your emotions and your feelings and all that, But the offense, you just make a decision, and it's forgiven. And so uh, we got to do that. One, it's not diminishing the offense. You're saying, yes, it's a big, huge offense, but I'm deciding to forgive it. And two, uh, you need to notice it doesn't suspend wisdom because sometimes we feel like if we forgive, then we just go into being a punching bag or a doormat. And that's not the case. When we forgive, it doesn't mean... We don't still exercise wisdom. We don't become a punching bag. For example, it doesn't mean we trust someone. Let's say, you know, you were in one of those families where, uh, you know, you let somebody babysit your kids and they did something bad to them. Do you have to forgive them? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. When they go, thank you for forgiving me, so can I babysit the kids again? What's the answer? No. No. Just because you forgive them doesn't mean you have to be foolish. You go, no. You've lost that. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to try and love you. You're not touching the kids, ever. That's just wisdom. So, now I say this because we can start feeling like forgiveness means i got to just go be a punching bag, I guess. Especially in relationships. Forgiving someone does not mean you have to enter back into that same relationship. Alright? So, I forgive you. Yes. Oh, can we go back to the relationship? No. Or, uh, not yet. Here are some things I need to see before we can be back in a relationship. Or, we can be back in a relationship, but here are some boundaries that we need to have that we didn't have before in this relationship. All that's wisdom. You're not just saying, I'm going to go back to, you know, uh, yes, God, I'm going back in a relationship. Bam. All right, God, I'm going back in a relationship. And, Here I go again. God, he doesn't ask that of us. All right? Now, and also, don't hear this. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this is an excuse to bail on relationships that God doesn't want you to bail on. Someone offends you, and you go, that's it. We're done. I forgive you, but Pastor Tony said, I don't have to ever talk to you again. No, he did not. He said, ask God. God may say, yep, don't ever talk to that person again. God may say, uh, establish boundaries. God may say, I want to restore this relationship, and you might even take a couple more hits, but I'm going to ask you to do it, and I'm going to give you grace for it. I'm going to ask you to be patient with this person. You don't know. God knows. You understand. So God, at the end of the day, is after relationships. He's after us walking in freedom. This forgiveness thing is a no-brainer. I don't care how big the thing is. I mean, I don't want anybody to go through anything bad. And I I get it that I don't understand and that it's hard and, you know, nightmares and stuff like that. I get all that. But, uh, man, don't keep it. Don't let, don't extenuate it by letting it grow roots and defile others and all that. When Jesus has made a way for everything you've ever done to be forgiven and is willing to give you grace to forgive anything anybody's done to you. That's really freedom. Now, how many of you know someone who's gotten caught in this trap? Yeah. This is common, guys. So we need to know this for ourselves, and we need to understand the whys of this so that we can help other people walk out of it. Amen? All right, so let's have the band come back up. And uh, we're going to go back into worship. And I was feeling this morning in prayer, so we're going to worship for a song or two, and then we're going to have the ministry team come up. Uh, I was feeling uh, in prayer this morning uh, that I think God wants to heal people. And now I'm not saying it could be that... uh, You have an unforgiveness issue, and you take 30 seconds in your chair and deal with that, and you come up here and get healed. Uh, But even if you've forgiven everybody, God still might heal you. It's like, that's all he's doing this morning. I just kind of felt like I might want to heal some people this morning. And so at some point in worship, uh, Keith or Gary uh, will invite the ministry team up, and you come and get prayer for healing if you want healing. And if you need to forgive someone first, just do it, do it. Don't wait till he calls them up. Do it in the first song. Uh, it's fine. You're free. Amen. Something for we. Yeah. All right.
2: Uh, This happened about 30 years ago, but the Lord put it on my heart to share with you. Uh, A lady came to me and asked me to pray for her. And she had been having severe migraines for three years. Been to the doctors, medication, therapies, counseling and uh no let up on it and she had a bunch of small kids and she uh for whatever reason sought me out and asked me to pray for her uh and god gave me wisdom or a word of knowledge whatever you want to call it and i said to her i can't pray for you uh, because you hate your husband you actively hate her ex-husband excuse me uh they had divorced and uh I can't pray for you because it just wouldn't do any good. And she started crying profusely. And uh, I said, I tell you what, there's a door right behind you. There's an empty bedroom there. You go in there and do business with God and come out. And if you've actually done business with God, I'll pray for you. And so um, she uh, turned around, walked in that bedroom, came out a half hour later and her makeup was like all over her face she was like wet her hair was wet i mean she did business with god and she kind of had a little shiny look on her face and i thought whoa man this lady you know did the stuff she did the matthew 18 stuff the forgiveness and uh, i prayed for her and about a year later my friend uh, told me that i i didn't know her personally Um, he told me that she had never had a migraine since that day